Time for us to get into the Nature Diary. And uh, this week we are speaking turtle monitoring and hatchlings, uh, trying to understand the movements of turtle hatchlings, why that's important, um, and how that contributes to the survivor um, numbers of these little creatures. Uh, Tim is not in studio. He's actually down, he's in the field in case it in. Um, Tim, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Gurgs, and yeah, <laughs> I love listening to all the the sort of run-ups to the show, etc. Mm. And, and I'm going to leave our, our, our good uh, friends in sheltered employment with one comment. Okay, it's not about jobs, it's about the market and what is the market and how do we solve it. Mm. And it was actually very interesting driving down uh, to Banganek. Um, there's a completely different informal economy and there is building going on and people working and expanded public works cleaning the side of the roads and we even found a motor grader on uh, one of the gravel roads who was out with his motor grader making sure the road was getting improved. So, you know, I'm always fascinated that this very rural, deep rural area um, where theoretically there is nothing, there is actually a lot. And so why are you in, you know, deep rural KZN? It, uh, we're yes. looking at the turtles. We're doing a few things with the Nature Diary. And, and, and one of the things is I want to get back into the field every sort of six weeks or so. So every six weeks or so, the program is going to come to us from the field, from somewhere like we are now, down in the Banganek area, and where you go along and you find out more about a conservation program. What it is, how does it work, why is it there? And the turtles are, uh, turtles are something that, that had kind of stuck with me since about 2007 when um, I was very privileged for BBC, uh, or sorry, no, Nat Geo Wild. We actually filmed a program on turtles. So I spent about... 10 days with them laying their eggs, etc., in the November, and then went back in the January and spent another 10 days or so while they were hatching. And it was rather interesting having a look at some of the amusing things and the amusing stories that came out. Now, when turtles come out of the beach, they put what looks like a tire track down. Well, in the good old days of the Groot Gefaar, our military believed that this was the Russians attacking from the sea and they wanted to know what sort of all-terrain vehicles were driving up and down the coastline. What? And it wasn't. It was loggerhead turtles. <laughs> I'll bring you photographs of it and it's absolutely incredible. It looks like a tire track. So, in oh. fact, when we were walking down the beach, even though this is, um, this is hatching time, you still get the odd scraggler old turtle who comes trotting along and thinks, oh, hang on a minute, I forgot to lay eggs, I was out shopping. And uh, we came ashore, and, and it came ashore, and there it was, you know, it had popped up the beach and decided, no, nah, wrong piece, went back in the water again. And as um, Santos was saying, Santos, who is the, the head ecologist for the marine work for, for KZN Wildlife, and as he said, she'll come back out again in a little while, so uh, let's keep on walking. So where but, do the turtles come ashore? 
normally? Okay, so we come they, they start coming ashore about mid-October into November. Mm-hmm. And we've got two species on our shoreline, one being the loggerhead, uh, which is kind of a cute turtle, and, and there are a lot of them. They're doing pretty well, uh, but with the indis- with, the, with the undis- being undisturbed. And then we've got our leatherbacks. Now, leatherbacks are those great big things that don't have a hard carapace. They've got sort of like a leathery skin. Um, there's all of about six to 700 kilograms of a reasonable size leatherback female, mm-hmm. which is a lot of turtle. Mm. And uh, there are only 70 of them that are, that are registered uh, coming ashore, only 70 females. And I think that's one of the interesting facts is how one has gained the knowledge over time. Um, if you're a girl turtle, you go off and do your shopping around the, the, the uh, currents of the world and you buzz off for about 35 years and then you come back and you come within, well, some of them they're measuring now, down to 700 uh, meters from where you were born. And they come ashore, start digging this hole, and it's in fact, it's so fascinating how she, uh, she'll, she pins herself with her front flippers, and she goes right up into the dunes where there's relative safety, and she starts with her hind quarters, her hind flippers, um, turns them into little hands, and starts to dig this hole where she deposits um, up to sort of 100 plus eggs at a time. And uh, then off she goes back and pats her down and disappears for another year, sometimes two years, before she comes to ashore again. The boys, of course, boys don't want to do anything, do they? <laughs> so the boys buzz off to sea and nobody knows anything about the boys. And that's one of the interesting facts also is that it came out that when they do the DNA testing or, or, or through Obviously, some of the ethics committees, and they've tested the baby turtles. It's a very small little nick that they take off of them. They find that Mrs. Turtle goes along. She's a tad promiscuous, and she will mate with a couple of males uh, and then come ashore and, and, and lay her eggs. And she can hold her, her the sperm in these receptacles in her body for a long time, mm-hmm. um, then comes ashore and lays her eggs, and uh, hopefully you get the hatchlings. And that's what we were seeing at this time of the year now. Um, we came across two nests in, in a fairly short space that were busy hatching. And these tiny little fellows come out. And bear in mind, you've been in a, in a little egg for about 70 days. And now you come out and the only way that you can get down to the water and you've got to navigate all sorts of footprints and all sorts of things. And you've got to navigate down to that water um, and the only way is on your belly with your little flippers. And that is when they learn virtually to swim. When they start out from being hatched in that nest, coming out exhausted, and now we've got to head to the sea. Mm. And so of these hundred uh, eggs that get laid, how many of them, you know, so they get laid, the little turtles come out, they then do that treacherous walk from the nest to the sea and try not to get eaten by a variety of predators that love a bit of baby turtle. Um, how many of them on average are known to survive that trip? Are you sitting down? Yes. One out of a thousand. Really? The approximate, this approximate survival rate of the turtles is one out of a thousand. That is the old survival rate. 
the new survival rate is a lot lower. And let me explain why. So first of all, when you survive that one out of a thousand, you come out the nest and the first thing you are at the top is food. So the ghost crabs can't quite consume you, but they go for the eyes of the baby turtle. And that's quite sad because they will, they will latch onto the baby turtle, try and take them down their hole, and they will rip out the eyes of the turtle so that you immediately have a little turtle at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Once you get past the ghost crabs, then you've got to get past the terns and the gulls who are also keen on, turt- on a bit of turtle, and then you've got to hit that ocean. And the turtle, while we're on that, it's drawn by light. And the light of the, the moon, etc., onto the waves and on the turning waves, even in the darkness, that white light is what attracts the turtle. Mm-hmm. So you can actually see when, you bring in the, when they're coming down the beach, you can actually shine a white light and they will follow the white light to wherever it's going, which is why you work with a red light because red doesn't affect their eyesight. And they'll actually just walk through the river or waddle their way through the red light. Mm. Once you get into the ocean, you're now not doing what a normal turtle will do to, to gain your food. So you're on the surface and you're bobbing along merrily. And that's when you become food for everything that's on the ocean from again, gulls to sharks to fish. Anything that's bigger than you is going to consume you. And now you start out and you get out into our warm current and hopefully you're going to get into that warm current and you're going to go down the coastline. Now, unfortunately, plastics float. So when you, you're a little turtle and something comes past that resembles a mini little shrimp, etc., that's what you eat. And unfortunately, you find that depending on wind, remember that our currents do move a certain amount with wind and what have you, And depending on the wind, our currents and the the exhaustion of the little turtle, sometimes from about East London onwards, the turtles start to come ashore. And that's when the next part comes. They come ashore because they're exhausted. And they then end up invariably in either the Bay World in Port Elizabeth, East London Aquarium, or down in Cape Town. They've got a very big facility there where they can have up to 100 of these little strandlings. And the survival rate of them also diminishes. And when you do an autopsy on that, you start to find that the microplastics have got into the digestive system because a turtle can't regurgitate. It's not like you get something in your stomach and thinks, oh, this is bad. Let me go and put the old head in the toilet and get rid of it quick. Turtles have got the design of their throat mechanisms, have got little fingers in them so that any food going in can't come out. Mm. So the plastics go in, they set up in the uh, digestive systems, and then they start to, to get a, uh, they, they get little growths around them, block off the digestive system, and poor old turtle turns into Bob because the gases build up, the turtle can't die for its food because by that stage, by the time you're getting down to um, sort of the, the Cape Town area, theoretically, you've gone from uh, that little turtle that's not much bigger than a five-rand coin to something about the size of your hand mm. because we're now starting to grow quite quickly. And unfortunately, we can't take our food in. Sometimes they're able to, to um, keep them in the facility where they're actually able to flush it and they start to grow. 
They know from research what weights a turtle should be approximately at approximate ages. And then, of course, they take them out into the ocean. Uh, and they don't just deposit them on the shoreline. They go back out into the warm current. And the, the little fellows are dropped off in the warm current. And, you know, hasta la vista. Hopefully, we will see you in 35 years when you come ashore again. Yeah. But you face all sorts of other things. You face issues of trawling for, for where people are trawling for prawns because obviously in some areas that's part of the food depending on the turtle that you are. And the trawlers are bringing them up in their nets. That reduces that one in 1,000. The one in 1,000 is the natural or seemingly natural survival rate of the turtle. And that's where we're starting to see, hang on a minute, we are skewing the numbers even more because the more you look at it, and you look at the injuries that when they, they come back ashore on some of the bigger turtles, that's when you actually start to see the issue. And so does this mean our numbers are at a rate that is concerning? If so, if, if the one in 1,000, which is the natural um, number, is being impacted, um, does that mean we should be concerned about the numbers of our turtles? I think yes. And, and that brings in another question as to, where or when does man start to interfere? And we've seen it on some of the ways. You've got the purest way, which means that every nest, you leave it and allow nature to take its place. But what happens if somebody has walked down the beach and they stood on the top of the nest unknowingly and they've compacted the nest and they make it almost impossible for the little turtle to come out? So do you dig up that nest and do you then allow the, um, you, you do, do you interfere with nature and say, okay, maybe these are uh, not the strongest, but maybe they add to the gene pool and they do survive down the road? Because we don't really know. You know, we've got that wonderful thing saying that regardless in wildlife, it's always the weakest that end up being eaten or what have you. Uh, sometimes I wonder if it's the more stupid and not the, not the weaker. You know, the guy who's a little bit too brave, maybe he's the guy that gets eaten and the, the, the guy who's hiding behind the bit of kelp is actually your, your, your future generation. But yes, there is a concern and there is, the loggerheads obviously are at, at a, uh, a fairly nice growing rate across the world. But there again, you start to have a look and we've seen it with all sorts of things where scientific papers are being withdrawn and they're discovering that regardless of the species, um, you know, it's publish or perish. And people start to skew the numbers uh, either in too few or too great to get the, so that they can do more research and get the grants. Mm. And there's a vast difference between that form of research that's been undertaken and biodiversity support uh, that needs to be done at the bottom end of it. Yeah. And... One of the other issues that we do have as well, of course, is climate change and the effect that that has on the males and females. The warmer the climate, the warmer the water, the warmer the sand, higher up in the nests where it's hotter, that's where the girls are. The boys are down. Boys require coolness below, I think it's 29.2 degrees is the, the kind of break-even point. But the boys require that sort of temperature, yeah. they require less to, to become boys because that's what determines. Uh, it's the opposite to crocodiles, but temperature in the nest determines 
the sex of who's coming out. Yeah. So uh, ev- everybody's equal until the temperature comes along. And that's where we need to leave it, Tim. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning and uh, enjoy the rest of your time down in uh, Bunga Beach. We will do. And uh, next week, it's coffee back in the studio. Yay! That's our uh, resident CSI nature conservationist, Tim Neary.